Good morning. We continue to talk about God joy. We're talking about God joy today, this joy that we can have in the Lord and from the Lord. And even to remember that this is all based off this story of in Nehemiah 8, where the people of Israel had been living in exile, and they're finally allowed to now come back into their land. And they're rebuilding their city, they're rebuilding the walls, and they're rebuilding their faith and rediscovering who they are as the people of God. And they, they gather all the people together, these leaders, Ezra, Nehemiah, and the priests, gather all the people to just listen to the Bible being read to them out loud for a half of a day while they stand up. And as they listen to it, they begin to weep and they begin to cry. But the priests do something kind of interesting here where they say, don't cry, stop crying, celebrate, eat the fat, drink the sweet, share with those who have nothing prepared. Do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. As they weep from this, this guilt that they have that leads to conviction, but it leads to repentance, which ultimately leads to the beautiful grace and forgiveness that we find in Jesus, they, they know that then now as they're experiencing that, this is actually something to celebrate. And so you have this verse that says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And we're here on Mother's Day, and we recognize that this is a day that's kind of like a, it's an interestingly mixed day, right? Kind of a mixed emotions day for a lot of people. Even like, I know even for myself, like at one level where I'm celebrating and excited for celebrating my wife, be the mom to our two girls. And then at the same time, even I know just like even last week, we, we talked about the struggles of miscarriage and some, some time of infertility and the, the hard times that were in that. And then even I know like just on Friday, I was just kind of thinking about Mother's Day coming up and my mom died uh, about six years ago now. And I just like had a moment like in my car where I just like, started crying and just totally crying, thinking about my mom. I love my mom and my mom's not here. And so there's, there's that, that mix, right? Like, so there's this, like, oh, I want to celebrate the, the moms that are here and you're amazing and we honor you. And then we also know a lot of us have from different, for different reasons, we have some grief in this day as we think about that. And we need strength, right? In the midst of our suffering, in the midst of some of those hard things, we need a strength and a strength that is beyond us. That's just beyond our ability to muster it up. And so we find strength in God. And so that's the kind of the question for us. Like how do we find that strength in our suffering? And this verse says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Okay, so how do we find this God joy? It's not our joy. It says it's God's joy. The joy of the Lord is what will strengthen us. So where do we find this God joy then? As you think of the places in your life that you need strength, whether that's Mother's Day related or, or otherwise, you just have stuff in your life that you're like, this is a struggle, this is a, a trial, this is an area of need in my life. I need strength in this area. What are those areas and how can you find a joy from the Lord that will strengthen you in that? So I want to talk through where we find Joy, and this is, it's interesting, where we find joy is in God's dwelling place. 
okay? We find joy in God's dwelling place. Now, I need to take us on a little bit of a journey through some language stuff to get us there, okay? So here's a Hebrew word, right? The Old Testament written in Hebrew. Uh, this word, chedva, for joy. So let's say it together. You got to get the chedva, okay? Come on. Now, that was, so, it was like the weakest you've ever done anything in your life as a church. All right, you should be ashamed of yourselves and repent. And now we're going to start over. So here we go. Chedva. There we go. All right. So the chedva of the Lord is your strength. That's what that Hebrew word is there for joy. For the chedva of the Lord is your strength. Now, that's not just like the primary word for joy in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the majority of the time, we see another word that's simcha. You can say that if you want, but you don't have to. It's fine. Okay, but like, so simcha is used like something over 90 times or more in the Old Testament, this simcha. Now, so this word for joy that's used here, this chedva, is only used in a couple places. It's only used a couple times. And so you're like, okay, well, that's interesting. I think that's the kind of stuff that's interesting when you get into the language differences. Because in our English Bible, it just says joy, 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 joy. But it's a different word. It's chedva or simcha, right? So you're thinking there, all right, now why? Why? What's going on in this? So this word, chedva, is used here for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And then it's used in another place. And I'll tell some of the story behind it. Now, the story where this other time it's used is the story where the Ark of the Covenant, right, of Raiders of the Lost Ark fame in modern culture, but much more fame in the Bible. The Ark of the Covenant is coming back into the possession of the people of Israel. So what's the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant is like this big sort of box chest thing. It had the Ten Commandments, the tablets in it, and some other stuff in it. But it's where the very presence of God dwells within this big chest. Okay? So the presence of God was in that. And they would take that into battle. And the people of Israel would have great victory when, when the Ark was with them. When it was not, they would have defeat. Now, the, this ark would be put in when the, remember as we were talking about in our numbers series, and so the people are traveling through the desert in these tents. They'd set up the ark in the middle. And, uh, they'd put the tent in the middle of everyone, all their tents around it, and the ark would be in the Holy of Holies. And that's where the presence of God was. The presence of God dwelled in there, in the Holy of Holies, inside the ark. And then later on when the temple is built, they put the ark within the Holy of Holies in the temple, and that's where the presence of God was, okay? So this is like a super important thing, and it's where God dwells is within that temple, or within that ark in the temple. Now, in this story, the, the ark had been, like taken, had been taken from them by the enemies of Israel, the Philistines, but now they get it back, and it's being paraded back into their land, right? It's coming in, and everybody's celebrating, and this is that story where King David is dancing and celebrating, and it says he's wearing a linen ephod, which is kind of like an undergarment, but also that's in 2 Samuel 6, 
But then in 1 Chronicles 15, it also says he's wearing a fine linen robe. So you can just relax about what he was wearing, all right? Because it's not the clothing that matters. It's the joy that matters. What's happening is he's celebrating and dancing because the presence of God is right there in this ark coming back into their land. And he celebrates so much that his wife even is like, you, you need to relax. You're getting, you know, you're, you're getting way too undignified. And he says, I'll become even more undignified than this because I celebrate that the presence of God is now with us. And so that's in that story. And then David writes a song about it with this other guy named Asaph, who the two of them wrote a ton of the, the book of Psalms together. They're these incredible songwriters. And one of the lines in that song is this. 1 Chronicles 16, 27. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. It's the only other place in the Bible where this word chedva is used. Strength and chedva are in his dwelling place. And so as David's singing this song about it, he's singing about how it's in the ark coming back to them. He's celebrating that now we can get this strength and this joy from God's presence in the ark coming back into our land. And we now have him. So it's only in these two places. For the chedva of the Lord is your strength, and then strength and chedva are in his dwelling place. So we find strength and we find joy in the dwelling place of God. And so you think then, all right, where is God's dwelling place, right? Where is God's dwelling place? Now, God's dwelling place was in the ark. That's where God lived, was in that ark, in the tents and the tabernacles and the temples, right? That's where God would live, was in the temple. And, but what happens is, is everything changes when Jesus comes. Jesus changes everything. Jesus, God himself, born into this human form, lives this perfect life that none of us could live, goes upon the cross, takes the sin of the world upon himself, cancels our debt to sin, the, the, the penalty, the price that we would have to pay, he takes upon himself when he dies. Then on the third day, he rises again in victory and power over that sin, over that death. But then a little while later, he ascends into heaven and he leaves them there. And then finally, just a short while after that, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. And it says the Holy Spirit dwells now within people. The Spirit of God dwells within his people as he fills them and empowers them. And so God used to dwell in arks and tents and temples, but now God's dwelling place is in his people. God now lives within his people. So where is God's dwelling place? It's in us. And where do we find joy and strength? It's within one another. It radically changes everything. And I want you to see where this is written like all through the Bible. Um, where you see here, God, Acts 17, 24. God who made the world and everything in it does not live in temples made by human hands. 
All right, very clearly, God who made the world and everything in it, he doesn't live in these temples anymore made by human hands. And then 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 17 says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? And check this part out, okay? This little addition, I think, is something that we don't think about that often here, as it says in 17. And you together are that temple, Okay? You together are that temple. And then this one's kind of famous one because it's like sort of how my mom got me to eat my vegetables, right? Like, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, right? It was like that, like how you treat your body. And my mom would use this as like a guilt verse to make me like make good choices, whatever. But like that's the kind of thing. Like for, for all of us though, it's not just about that. It's not just about how we treat our body. It's something so much more radical that the very presence of God is dwelling within you as he did in the temple, where the people would go and worship before God and make sacrifices. And you had to be careful because you could die in the presence of God when you approached him in the Holy of Holies. That powerful God dwells within us. That's, that's amazing. And then Ephesians 2 says this, Ephesians 2, 21. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So you could see throughout the New Testament, it's talking about how we have the presence of God dwelling within us. But I think interestingly, in a couple places, it's not just you as an individual have the spirit of God within you. And it's just a bunch of individuals out there with, like, um, with the spirit of God in you all around. It's actually collectively as well. It's all of us together are the temple of God. The dwelling place of God is in us together. And so if you are a Christ follower, you are a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. But not just you alone. It's all believers knit together as one. That's where God lives. And that's where you find joy. That's where you find strength. Strength and joy are found in God's dwelling place. And that's us. And so really, interestingly, it's the church. The church gathered together that makes a place where we can find joy that strengthens us. Now I want to be clear about this. The church is not a service like what we are in. We go to church, right? It's the church is, when we talk about it here, it's not a service. It's not a building. It's not an institution or an organization. It's not a nonprofit, right? It's not, that's not what we're talking about when we talk about the church. We're talking about the people of God gathered. The Spirit of God is here in us. That's happening right now. Right now, here, in each one of us as individuals, but collectively, the presence of God is here. And that's where you can find strength and a joy that's given by God, not put on by yourself just to kind of put a smile on your face. There's something beautiful and supernatural in that, that God is working in power in you and us. And I don't know what church is sort of like for some of you. 
Mother's Day can kind of be one of those kind of Christmas, Easter. It could be another one that where you kind of get dragged here. You know, you could be dragged here by mom. <laughs> but uh, it's okay. <laughs> and church is, like, church is hard for some people. You know, maybe you love church. Maybe you hate church. Maybe you're indifferent. Maybe the idea of, like, going someplace and singing some songs and hearing some guy talk and then they ask you for money is kind of a weird deal. You know, you're just like, that's, that's not my thing. <laughs> I get that, right? At some level, I get that. Um, but I think it's, we're trying to describe that it's something much more rich than that. It's something much more meaningful than that. But you might have even had people from the church hurt you in some way. You, you know, or not include you in some way. Or church leaders that have disappointed you or failed you or you've exper- experienced abuse from even or something like that. I know that the sort of institution of the church has done some damage in people's lives. And I know like I've never, my heart would never want to hurt people, but I know I have. I know I have. And so, like, I know sometimes that church has a lot of sort of baggage attached to it in some way. But here's the thing. Even if you've experienced all of that, it would still be important and vital for you to be a part of church. Okay? And again, it's not as much just going to a service or attendance. It's not about that to me. It will probably include that at some level. But what's important for you is for you to be part of the people of Jesus gathered together because that's the dwelling place of God. That is where God's spirit dwells and where you can be filled with strength and joy in the midst of the hard thing. And sometimes that's a weird deal, like where the thing that hurt me can sometimes be the thing that needs to heal me. And that's where we're messy as people. Like we're broken and messy people. It's got to be the spirit of God through us. And so consider your struggles. Consider your suffering. Because I mean, for most of it, it might might have nothing to do with church. But how can you be strengthened by people? When often people are the ones that do the hurting, you know? And so we need to be strengthened by people. But part of that is because, again, I said it's the spirit of God dwelling within us. That is what we're experiencing. And we as people need to live out the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Now we should be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to live out the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? But we also have to be maybe just actually thinking about this a little bit. Right? We need to be considering how we are living that out. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Is that what your life is giving to other people? So when other people are experiencing you and you are the presence of God in their lives, are they experiencing that? So be praying for that. Lord, help me to live that out. Help me to live out love and joy and peace and all the rest. May the church be known for living that out. Because that's who we are to be. May, may that be what they think about us. May that be what they experience in us when we even disagree with them. May that be what they experience, experience of us online. May that be what they experience of us when we just interact with people throughout our everyday lives. That's who we need to be as we then show how we can give strength 
and joy to people in how we live out who God has shaped us to be. And then you might think even here, okay, Christian community just kind of feels hard. It just feels like too hard. You know, it just feels like too much. Like I got to do stuff. I got to go places. I got to deal with people. Like, I don't know. It just feels like a lot of work, right? I, I get that. At some level, it does. It feels like a lot. And sometimes even we're kind of, I don't know, we're just kind of boring. <laughs> and that's this thing, I think, with this whole verse, right, with Nehemiah 8.10. It's like, celebrate. He's like, eat the fat, drink the sweet, share with other people. Celebrate what God has done in your life. Like sometimes Christian community is just like, blah, you know, like another meeting or something to got to go to. And so I feel like let's just try and like live this out of how can we be a bit more fun? We might, yeah, experience conviction and sorrow and all of that, but hopefully that can lead us to a sense of the party. And I'd love for you to think about what does that community look like for you? What does Christian community or church look like for you? And I think a lot of us sort of got out of the habit of meeting regularly with people during all of the pandemic and, and all the quarantine life. And sometimes we're kind of like, you know, it just kind of feels good to be by myself. <laughs> and so like for some of us, like we need to be able to start taking some of those risks of getting out there again and being around people. And maybe that's some of you in this room, but maybe that's some of you watching online, whatever that could be that it's important for us to take some steps like where we can just feel like I don't really need people. Or church isn't, I don't need to come to church. Like, I can just do church at home. You know, that kind of thing. We actually need each other. And it's not just for attendance at a meeting. And I think that this, this passage, Hebrews 10, is an uh, interesting one to think about with this. Okay? Um, it says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. So I think even to start there, before we get to the next line, which is what everybody wants to say. Like, you know, just, just meet together. You're, you're, you need to be doing that. But first... We should be motivating one another to acts of love and good works. Like, so when we come, we're strengthening each other to do good things for one another and to do these acts of love. And then it says, and then let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And so, yes, we want to be gathered together but I don't think that the author of Hebrews really cared that much about what the environment was. And I can guarantee he probably did, he didn't, certainly didn't have this in mind, that what we're doing exactly right now, um, that probably wasn't like a big part of the way they were thinking about how church looked. But we need to be gathering together in big ways, in small ways, and, and doing all of that because we can't give up on that. He cared about them meeting together because meeting together is a blessing. Meeting together should be a gift of strengthening each other. So I want to take just a little journey of thinking about community in the Bible. And so if you think like, ugh, community is just hard. Like I, I'm just going to do this on my own. Think, think about this, okay? First of all, our first glimpse into community in the Bible is in the Trinity, God is one in three persons. In Genesis 1, God says, let us make man in our image. And so you think of God is one, but three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A relational God just in and of himself. 
And God also understood that it wasn't good for man to be alone. As he creates Adam, he recognizes, oh no, like he shouldn't just be alone. He creates Eve because community, we need to be together in that kind of community. And so he makes Eve as this partner. The, the scriptures use this word of helper or helpmate. And that's the same word that is actually used of God multiple times. So Helper is not a weak term. Helper is a term of strength and power like God helps us. So just women out there feel empowered by that word of helper. That's not a word of weakness. It's a word of the power of God within you. And so that is how we are already to be in community. And he says he gives them the ability to procreate and encourages them to multiply and fill the earth. These Oh, this people, it's a good thing. Let's get more of these. Let's do this, right? And so God says, hey, we are to be in community. And then a little later in the story, God chose a people group to relate with uniquely and particularly the people of Israel. And God's desire was and is for them to be close to him and to one another. The Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes speaks of two being better than one The book of Proverbs speaks of sharpening one another like iron, loving like a brother, speaking words of truth to one another. This this community is, this, this need for community is throughout the Old Testament. And then we get into the New Testament and it's filled with instructions for godly community. Acts 2, this story of the very first early church, right? Where they're just starting to kind of figure out how do we do this? How do we live this life for Jesus that he has called us to as we've been um, filled with the spirit of God? And it says, they worship together at the temple each day met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And I think that's interesting of its three ways. They're kind of larger to smaller at some level, right? Where it's, hey, they worship together at the temple each day in kind of a larger environment. And then they also met in homes, sharing the Lord's Supper together, taking communion together. And then it says, and they shared their meals together each day, right? So it's kind of this, this different levels of intimacy and size. And I think that's like kind of how we are created to, to be able to do that together. Um, Romans 12 says this, uh, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. There's this delight and joy that we should have in lifting each other up. That's, this is where we're being this joy and strength for one another. And then you like a, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. This is how we live out community. We live this out by serving each other, encouraging each other, rejoicing together. And remember that rejoice is just the verb form of joy, okay? It's joying, right? Rejoicing. We're expressing our joy. So anytime you see in the Bible rejoice, kind of think of it as this. It's this expression of joy, this expression of how the joy of the Lord strengthens us. Being part of community is a non-negotiable, non-optional part of God's plan. It's just how he intended things to be. And it's not even a biblical concept only, 
Okay? We, we're, we see this lived out even sort of scientifically in our world. I feel like even the pandemic quarantine helped everybody realize a little bit of like, oh, wow, wait, maybe this whole thing of isolation is not a good idea. We, we need the one another's. Okay? We need each other. And um, interestingly, there's this, um, there's this study that uh, was done, uh, it was like a sociological study, and there was an article in the New York Times by this guy, Adam Grant. I mean, you see Adam Grant, I don't know if you see like his stuff like online a lot, like for some reason my algorithms got quotes by him like all over it, but um, he is a writer of the New York Times that is like a psychologist, sociologist, writes about these kind of things and has a lot of sort of motivational quotes or something. But um, he wrote this article called, There's a Specific kind of joy we've been missing. Just think like a New York Times article. Now, it was written in July, July 10th of 2021. So just last summer. Okay, this came out last summer. There's a specific kind of joy we've been missing. And he says in there, says, psychologists find that in cultures where people pursue happiness individually, they may actually become lonelier. But in cultures where they pursue happiness socially through connecting, caring, and contributing, people appear to be more likely to gain well-being. And then it says, joy shared is joy sustained. Joy shared is joy sustained. So this New York Times article of this sociological study has said, joy that we share is a joy that will last. Joy shared is joy sustained. Isn't that fascinating to see this stuff, I think, lived out in that way? And then he says this awesome term that I love in it. And I do talk about this a lot in the book. But it says collective effervescence. (laughs) It's called collective effervescence. It's this joy or this this bliss that we have in a group of people. We can only have this collectively. This collective effervescence says it's on, on a dance floor, at a concert, in a brainstorm session at work, on an athletic team, at a sporting event, or in a church service. And what's interesting is, is he wrote this article based on a sociological study of religious services and the collective joy that is found in them. I think it's just so like so intriguing to think about how this like study and this article is all about how the joy of the Lord is our strength and that we have this collective effervescence together in the midst of this and this joy that we share with one another share with those who have nothing prepared. We share not just our food, but we share our joy with one another. And that joy shared is joy sustained. And that God joy will strengthen the community. That God joy that we share with each other will strengthen each one of us. And that collective God joy is our strength. And so the way I would want you to respond to this today is to take a risk, okay? The way I want you to think about responding to this today is to recognize that you all come from an area of hurt and struggle or suffering that you need strength in. We all have something. We all have the things that we're going through. And so what I want to encourage you, though, is this kind of joy requires risk. And there's two forms of risk that I want to invite you into. 
the first way that you could take a step of risk is to take a step of risk to be present with someone in their suffering. Okay? You might know someone or know of someone that is experiencing some form of suffering. Don't sit around and think, oh, the pastors will take care of it, or that person that's a little bit closer to them will be there for them. No, if you know someone in a moment of suffering, take a step of risk to be present with them, to be the joy of the Lord for them, to strengthen them in the midst of it, to be God's presence with them. The other step of risk is this, to take a step of risk to allow someone else to be present with you in your suffering. For some of you, that's a harder risk, okay? To be vulnerable, to put yourself out there enough to allow someone else to come into your suffering and to sit in that with you and to strengthen you. And sometimes that strengthening requires zero words. It's just being present. You know why that makes sense and why that works? Because the presence of God dwells within you. It is his power through you, not your own. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, give us strength, please. Lord, I pray that you would help us to take steps of risk. Lord, to sit with others and to allow others to sit with us in our suffering and to be the presence of God for one another. Lord, I pray that we would have a sense of your joy that strengthens us, even as we're in this room surrounded and enveloped by your presence in all of these people here, God. Lord, so now... We keep our our gaze fixed upon you, Lord. Our eyes are fixed on you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.